Well, this morning we come to this uh, fascinating and often avoided subject of death. As we continue in this series called Worried, we uh, face a subject this morning that uh, is avoided by many people in conversation, yet the death rate remains for the human race at 100%. It, it, it hasn't gone down 1%. Everybody is going to die, amen? We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back first. And, and would anybody argue with his return? No. Oh, wow, what a day that would be, wouldn't it? And so we'll talk about that in a moment. But we really are accustomed to avoiding the conversation. So in your groups this week, dive in and, and, and talk. Talk about this in your life groups uh, about this whole reality of death. Uh, how much, uh, how far, at what great lengths do we go to avoid it? Well, we, we don't say someone died anymore. We say they passed away. We don't use the word die or death. We uh, don't do funerals anymore. We do memorial services. We have ways of glossing over things that kind of uh, tame it for us. And this indeed, you may not realize, is very different than the, the way things have been done for, for many, many, many years prior to us. Um, I remember several years ago doing a funeral, and this funeral was old school when it came to the burial. <clears throat> the, way most <clears throat> the way most burials work today is if there is a burial, uh, you go to the gravesite. And then the family leaves, right? And the burial takes place because no one wants to watch that. This funeral was different. The family warned me. They said, when you get to the gravesite, we stay until the end. Not only do we stay until the end, we help. And so the family had shovels. They took dirt. And I still remember the sound of the clods of dirt hitting the casket as they went into it. Indeed, this is how, for years and years and years, burials took place. And there was a sense of process in that that gave the reality of dust to dust and ashes to ashes that perhaps in our culture, in the avoidance of death, we then end up processing maybe six months, a year, or two years later. It's an observation, a cultural one. Richard Baxter, the old Puritan pastor, said, until you have prepared your people to die, you have not prepared them to live. Until you have prepared your people to die, you have not prepared them to live. I have a feeling that however many people were watching on Facebook a minute ago, it's dropped in half, and that some of you are thinking you could have slept in this morning. Well, Paul writes here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, might totally be paradigm shifting for you. It has been for me this week. Last week, we looked at uh, perspectives that need to change, and this week, we'll look at the same. Three, number one, Paul says that uh, there's the thinking of tent versus house. Tent versus house. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. So what is Paul referring to? The tent 
that is our earthly home, it's this body. This body Paul calls a tent. Well, uh, most of you who know me know that I do not enjoy camping at all. I don't get it. Like, there are people, you love to do this. It makes no sense to me why you leave the comforts of home and pay good money to sleep out in uh, uh, something that will not protect you. And uh, I'm sorry, Charlie, I, I know this doesn't sit well with you since you own a campground, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I just don't get it. I've never got, I remember years ago, Wendy and I hadn't been married long and her whole family was going camping, which meant we were too. And so we get there, we didn't own a tent, so we were in a borrowed tent. We didn't own uh, uh, air mattresses, so we were on borrowed air mattresses. And our air mattress decided to deflate in the night. We woke up with imprints of gravel all along us, and everybody's waking up and smiling and happy. And we're waking up wondering why in the world we signed up for this. Uh, when we went to Africa, we camped out several of the nights, and my, I had a muscle spasm so bad in my back that this is, I'm sure, old age, and, and, and using sand as a mattress. It just isn't good. Even people I know who love to camp don't love to do it all the time. Uh, they seem to be ready to get back to hot showers and to comfortable beds, Paul calls our body, this one, uh, the one uh, the, that you, and, and, and good for you, spent so much time making up this morning. It's a tent. That's what it is, a tent. However, when you are a follower of Christ, when you've trusted him uh, to forgive you of your sins, there's something else. Look at this, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. All right, so this tent is what we have here, but when you come to God by faith in Christ, he builds a building for you then. Uh, according to this, the tense of the verb, right now your new body is already waiting for you. That is the building. And so while you live in this tent, you've got to realize we're just camping out here. That the building, it's, it's like being at the campground knowing your house is waiting for you. That's what it's like. Uh, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, what are the differences between a tent and a house? Well, tents, they decrease in value over time, don't they? Just use one enough and you'll discover that. Houses hopefully go up in value. Tents are not insulated from outside weather. Houses hopefully are. Tents, you set them up, you take them down. Houses, you put them there. Unless something takes them down, they don't come down. Tents are portable, they're easily destructible. Houses are made of heavy, less destructible material. 
But if you're thinking through this, you've got to ask yourself a question. Paul says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, if it is. Uh, well, I said at the outset of the sermon that death, the death rate is 100%. Paul, why are you saying if it is destroyed? Why are you saying if we die? Paul who met Jesus on the Damascus road and his life was forever changed. Uh, Completely and totally, radically, he's killing Christians and now he becomes one and he dies because of his faith, anticipated the return of Christ to such a degree that he hoped that he would not see death until he saw Jesus face to face coming back in the clouds of glory. And that's why he writes, if the tent is not destroyed, or if it is destroyed, just in case Jesus Christ doesn't come back, it was Paul's missionary mandate, it should be mine and yours, that we go into the unreached parts of the world so that when the gospel is proclaimed to those parts of the world, Jesus Christ will indeed return You've got to ask yourself the question, do I anticipate his return in that way? Now, Paul describes this tent or this house as being not made with hands. What does that mean? All right, so here's the reality. Every person in this room, God created. He made you, right? And he doesn't make any junk. He made you. But how did he make you? He made you through your mom and dad. That's how he made you. You have parents who contributed genetically to who you are. That's how you are who you are, right? People will look at you and say, wow, she's a spitting image of her mother. He's a spitting image of his mother, his father. If you're tall, maybe because your parents are. If you're short, it may be because they are. Uh, you, you know, we have a lot to thank and blame our parents for, don't we? You know, uh, you can have those conversations. When my mom and dad were sick recently, we're sitting in the hospital. Mom says, I have this. Dad says, I have this. The kids were all sitting around and we said, well, gee, thanks. We're grateful for everything you're giving us, right? These genetic predispositions to certain kinds of illnesses, personalities, even sins, whatever they may be, that they're just kind of come genetically through. That's how you're made. You're born into sin. You're, you're born with that. That's how you're made. That's your tent. But God has made you another building that isn't made with hands. It's not made through your mom and your dad. Your new house is made by him Not with his hands, but it's made just like he created the world. And how did he create the world? He said, let there be, and what? There was. He spoke it into existence. And so so what's been just revelatory for me this week, I've never thought about this, is that the moment I came to Christ, at the age of 15, God said, hey, let's get him a house. Let's build him a house, and boom, just like, not, not a mansion, no. Not a cabin in glory if you live in the mountains of North Carolina. No. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's a new new body. Wow. It's a new body. 
I have a new body waiting in heaven for me even now. Wow. It's pretty remarkable. So the perspective that needs to change is tent versus house. You say, why? Wow. If you're young, you don't get this unless you, you have an illness, and you will. But the older you get, I think the more grateful you are that you have a house. Uh, you just do. You become more grateful that, that God is, has spoken a house into existence for you. Second, we touched on this last week, temporary versus permanent. We have a building from God eternal in the heavens. So, so building is eternal. Once you get that body, that's yours forever. That's your body. This isn't your forever body. When you die and you go into the ground or you're cremated, whatever may happen to you, this body is gone. And God has a forever body for you. Let's touch on this. Verse 2, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, that house. Now, when we hear the word groan, I think our tendency is to think whine or complain. That's not what Paul is saying at all. This is not a groaning that's a whining or complaining. This is a groaning that has anticipation. So I think in order to explain this, I must delve into a world that I've never experienced except by observation, and that is childbirth. All right, so all the women in the room who've had children, I only speak of this from observation. The pains of childbirth are made bearable, I am told, because of the anticipation of a child. That when women are in childbirth, the reason you women could do. And I'm convinced that if childbirth were up to men, it would have stopped with Adam. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't roll like that. Uh, we just can't. We're, we're wimps. I just, I'm just going to say to you right now that if we had to do what you have to do, well, then, uh, you know, Adam and Eve would have been it. So, so I remember when Trent was born and I was in there with Wendy, and, and I have a problem. I, I, could write, I could do a whole stand-up routine on passing out. All the places I've passed out in my life. You know, I passed out at 30,000 feet in the air. Uh, I passed out in middle school uh, when a basketball hit me in the eye. I passed out in chemistry class in high school and came to when they carried me out. I passed out in the shower in college, and somebody found me. And I came to back in my room, um, I passed out driving down the interstate, all right? Those are all the places that, uh, not all, those are just a few of the places I passed out. So Wendy's going through the very difficult pains of childbirth, the nurse is in there, and it's, the, it's time, like it's time, and the doctor's late. And Wendy and I had had this full-blown conversation, honey, I love you, I'm with you, good for you, uh, praying for you, right here by your head, to encourage you, and that's all I want, right? Otherwise, I might end up on the floor. Well, doctor's late, nurse says, baby's coming. 
I need your help. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't need my help. <laughs> Not at all. And, and Wendy looks at me, Wendy, who's having a child, just think how manly I feel at this moment. Wendy, who's having a child, looks at me and says, you okay, honey? <laughs> no lie. I said, I think I'm fine. Right? And so she is in awful pain, and she said, you're going to be all right? And finally, the nurse just stops and looks at me, and she says, what is wrong with you? <laughs> And so she, Wendy said, so sweetly, right, going through this awful pain 20 hours or so in, Wendy said, he passes out easily. The nurse, no mercy, said, you help. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And I did everything that she told me to do. And by the grace of God, did not pass out, right? How is it that Wendy can have that demeanor? There's the, the groaning that leads to the anticipation of new life. That's, that's why. That's what Paul is talking about. Hey, when you groan now, it's, it's not a whining. It, it's not a complaining. Why? God gave you your body that you have now. Uh, don't demean it. We do that way too much in this culture. Right? Teenagers cut themselves. That, that demeans the body uh, there, there are different things that people do that demean your body. Don't do that. It's God's gift to you. Uh, the doctors in the room, the nurses in the room will tell you, it's a miracle. Your body is amazing. It does unbelievable things, which leads me to believe that the, that the future body has got to be unreal. But, but we've got a little peek into that that I'll share with you. So it's temporary versus permanent. We groan. Verses 3 and 4, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. All right, Paul was clear. Romans 3.23, all sin leads to death. All right, death is a result of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. There's no doubt, death was not natural, it was not intended. Your cancer is the result of sin. I'm not talking about your personal sin, I'm talking about sin, the problem of sin. Your arthritis, sin. The fact that I have to wear glasses, sin. Sin. Adam and Eve choosing to sin. It, it brought sin collectively into the world. There's a 100% chance you'll die, and there's a 100% chance that every person born is born into sin. It's the reality. So Paul is not, not downplaying that at all. So what are we grown for? Please, I want you to get this. Because I'm convinced that if we realized this, incorporated it, we would realize that the smallest child who dies, the teenager who dies, the adult who dies has never experienced life until their death. Look at this. At death, life swallows up the believer. Look at this. Look at these verses. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's 
That's what happens. When we die, life completely swallows us up. Swallows us up. This life, if if you could go to anyone who has died and say, welcome back, they would look at you and go, what? No. Doesn't matter if they're a teenager and in the prime of their life, they would look at you and go, no. I've never lived like this before. So why do we mourn? We don't mourn their loss. We mourn ours. That's what we do. It hurts. Tuesday, on the way to Robin's surgery, I get a phone call from someone else in tears. My father is dying. Happened to be at Ridgecrest. I said, let me fly in there for a moment. So I zip in. Indeed he was, and indeed he did that day. Children, wife of 46, I think, years. We gathered and we prayed. They were not mourning their daddy or their or her husband's loss. No. They were mourning theirs. For him, life just swallowed him up Tuesday. Swallowed him. Swallowed him up. Temporary versus permanent. The third perspective is earthly versus heavenly. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That word eternal. I love it. Notice the contrast. Earthly home versus house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So let me uh, read just a a bit out of the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Um, Chapter 15. Just listen as I read. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? (laughs) Paul didn't mince words. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. We could sit and simmer on that all day. If you go plant some flower seeds, tomato seeds, lettuce seeds, the only way you're going to get flowers, tomatoes, or lettuce is if that seed dies. It has to die. And once it dies, new life comes from its death. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. That's unbelievable. If this amazing body that you and I have right now is a bare kernel, this body with its intricate systems, with its capacity to heal itself, is a bare kernel. Perhaps a wheat or of some other grain, Paul says. But God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. You could camp out all day there on philosophy. Humans are humans, and dogs are dogs. That's what Paul is saying. 
your, your, your dog, no offense or maybe offense, isn't your child. It's your dog. That's what he's saying here. Uh, not all flesh is the same. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Your body is glorious, but your heavenly body will be glorious in a different way. There's one glory of the sun and the moon. Paul's just illustrating, and another of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Here it is. What is sown is perishable. That's your body. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. If you could look inside a casket, that's not honorable. No, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Right? You live long enough, you'll get weak. But you will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual one. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, I want to pause there because Paul words something so important, these words in Scripture. Look at verse 5 back in our main text, 2 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Do you know how I expected that to read after verses 1 through 4? Listen closely. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. I expected it to read this way. He who has prepared this thing for us is God. This body. That's not how it reads. He who has prepared us for the body, not the body for us. Paul's talked these three or four verses about preparing a body for us. Now he says, God's got to prepare us for that body. You say, what in the world is he talking about? Look at this. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. All right. Hang with me. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, ah, <clears throat> we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All right. When you come to Christ, all of life from the moment of conversion to the moment of death is preparing you for that new body. That's life. Somebody asks you, what does it mean to follow Jesus? He's getting me ready for my new body. 
What, what does that mean to know the Lord? He's preparing me. He's preparing me for this new body. That's what verse 5 says. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. If you wonder, and our praise team is going to come and we're going to sing, if you wonder, if you wonder out loud, well, am I ready for that body? How are we prepared? Here's how we are prepared. By the Spirit who has given us a guarantee. You say, well, how does that work? Well, we talked about it last week, day by day. Day by day, the Holy Spirit, he works in you to prepare you for the new body. He, he convicts you of sin. He encourages you when you're faint-hearted and weak. He gives you strength when you just don't think you'll have enough. He gives wisdom and insight into Scripture. He brings alongside you believers who love you and love the Lord, and, and they help you. He gives you a church. He gives us songs to sing. He speaks through the Word. The Holy Spirit is at work today, preparing you for then. That's what He's doing. From the moment of conversion, it is this work to prepare you so that when you finally get to death, Whatever that is, if it's 15 or if it's 50 or if it's 95, when you're there, you're like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. Well, Jerry, how is that new body? Glad you asked. We have a glimpse. Jesus Christ. Oh, you talk about sown and dishonor. You talk about a bare kernel. He was beaten till he was unrecognizable. Blood flowed down his head. His entrails were coming out. He was so poor he didn't have a tomb. So the most unlikely Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took his body and they put it in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he resurrected. Sown in dishonor, raised in honor. Sown perishable, raised imperishable. A bare kernel. What kind of body was it? Remember those two guys walking on the Emmaus Road? They're so confused and they're bewildered. Jesus has died and they're frustrated. And they're walking on the Emmaus Road. And Jesus comes up, just pops up, just like that. And they can't fully recognize him begins to preach himself out of the Old Testament to them and they sit down and have dinner and their eyes are open they see him Jesus immediately this new body can be here and can be over there just like that alright so, so this is a glimpse into this, this heavenly body that you and I are going to have Jesus goes over and the disciples are meeting in a room. That room has a door. What does he do? He goes through the door without opening the door. That's your new body. If you're wondering, doors don't matter anymore with your new body. So he goes through the door without opening the door. And when he gets inside, the disciples are forlorn. They're, they're weary. They're devastated. I love Peter and I love Thomas. Why? 
Because Peter says what everybody's thinking and Thomas says what everybody's doubting. Thomas spoke up. Didn't know if that was him or not. Jesus says, Thomas, look at these scars. Thomas, that leads me to believe that when I see him, I'll see them. That leads me to believe that when I'm in heaven and I see Jesus for the first time, I'll look down and see his nail-scarred hands. That he will be recognizable to me because God has been preparing me for this. He's been working on me since I was 15 years old to have a new body and to see him and to see hands that are nail-scarred. Do you not want to see him? Your loved ones who have died, they saw him. They put their eyes on him. They, they saw him. Jesus then ascended. Let me answer another question. We'll sing some good songs. Will, will I know my dad? Will I know my mom? Will, will I know people? All you have to do is go to the Mount of Transfiguration. When you land there, there's Peter, James, and John. Poor guys. God's doing amazing work and they're asleep. Who shows up? Moses and Elijah with bodies recognizable. And there's a conversation. If you wonder how you'll feel when you die, what did Peter want to do? Build a house. Let's stay here. Let's stay here. I don't ever want this moment to end. Have you ever had a worship moment like that? Like, you, I don't want to walk out the doors. I just want to stay here. Have you ever had a time with the Lord in the morning where you think, oh, I have to go to work? That's this. God is by his spirit preparing you for a new body eternal in the heavens now we know why Richard Baxter said unless you've prepared your people to die you've not really prepared them to live stand morning and you prayed that prayer and you need Christ, Adrian's front and center, I'll be right over here. Lynn is right here. Uh, you come. We'd be glad to pray with you.